Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. Did you guys read those numbers? Was it 52,000 salvations? 52,000. I mean, 200 deliverances. I think it said 35,000 Holy Spirit baptisms. 200,000 people heard the gospel at this one festival, right? One festival. That's amazing. Mission SOS, for those of you who don't know, is a missions organization and church that, that we've supported for many, many, many years now. Johannes Amritzer is the evangelist and leader of that ministry. Many of you have heard him here at Freedom Valley. He has been here for a couple of years, but so powerful. We believe in him wholeheartedly and this amazing ministry. Uh, Aaron and I have been on a number of those trips, and we hope to go again next year. I haven't gotten all of the final details on the trips next year. I think they said they're doing six or eight festivals next year in Africa, and so we hope to, to join them on one of them. I hope a lot of you will join us too. Anybody in to that? Maybe a little bit? Okay, get your passports now, because we might not get final details for a little bit, so start getting ready. But I would love to have you join us on that. I really want... This, this heart for missions to be stirred up in our church. That's what this series over the next month is really going to be about, this compassion. Jesus had an amazing compassion for people. And I think we need a little bit more of that. I, each and every one of us, no matter how compassionate, could use a little more compassion of Jesus. Amen? And so we, we are focused on missions today. We're kicking it off the series with missions today. And we have a very special guest speaker with us today. Now, our guest speaker actually kind of grew up here at Freedom Valley since he was 13. What, what age did you come to us? 12? 10? I got to be his kid's pastor for a couple of years, so I'm claiming him. Okay. <laughs> I did. I got to be his kids pastor for a few years. He sort of grew up around here. You know his older brother already, Pastor Isaiah of our youth ministry. And uh, we just love the Stoddart family, all of them. They're amazing and just have this heart for missions. And so uh, we get to hear from him today. Now, I hope you will lean forward, lean in, right? Get your notes out. Get ready to hear a powerful message. I hope that this stirs up something in you. Right, that we can really have a heart for people, for missions around the world, knowing that Jesus is the answer, right? It's one thing to have compassion and to, and to give to others, but Jesus is the best gift that we can give. Amen? Amen. So I hope that you will help me join me in welcoming Jeremiah Stoddart to come speak to us today. Good morning, everyone. How are you all doing today? Is it a good day in Gettysburg? It is good to be here. I just drove from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania yesterday. Thank, can we give a hand for Pastor Candice? Um, let me just brag on your pastors really quick. Uh, I started working with SOS Adventure. Uh, I've been going on trips for the past six, seven years, but I started working for them full-time last year, and they have just been the biggest encouragement to me. They have just championed me and cheered me on, as I said, yes to working, and I'm just so thankful for you both, for your love, for just how much you encourage me to run into what God's asked me to do. So can we give them another hand, Pastor <laughs> Candace and Aaron? I love you both. 
And now you have my brother um, here uh, as a pastor. I'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> no, love you, Isaiah. You're awesome. Uh, I'm blessed with my family. But let me uh, quickly tell you a little bit about myself, and then I'll tell you a little bit about Africa and what's been going on the past year, and then I'll preach a little bit. Does that sound okay? Give me a little wave. Give me a little wave. You know, when I preach in Africa, there... There's always, we're always talking back and forth. So if I wave at you or I do some motion, I'm just looking for you to wave at me back. So everyone up this morning, everyone up, got their coffee. Do we have some coffee addicts in the house? Oh yeah. You know, I knew I was coming to Gettysburg, so I put on a Harley Davidson shirt and I've been, I've been looking for some guys with a Harley shirt and a beard. I know Wayne's somewhere around here. I'm connecting with somebody with this shirt. Uh, give me, six or seven years, and then maybe I can grow a hair on my face. Um, but no promises. I don't know if I have the, the best genes for that. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Gettysburg. Uh, I moved here, and I started going to CVIS at New Oxford, and I lived in New Oxford until um, I was going into my junior year when I moved to Pittsburgh. And um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. You know, I love New Oxford High School. It is an awesome place, and... Um, around seventh, eighth grade, I got around some awesome people, some people that I love dearly. Um, they're my closest friends in life, but you know, they were on my basketball team, we were hanging out, but how many of you know when you're around people who usually aren't doing the best things, you will start to indulge in those things. So, um, I remember at a young age, um, many of you know my father, Lance. Uh, who is awesome. I love him. Um, my life choices don't really reflect my parents. I'll just say that. Um, um, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. But um, yeah, so I started, I got into drugs when I was probably in seventh or eighth grade just because um, uh, of just who I was around. And I remember going throughout high school and, you know, just uh, high school, we were doing stuff on the weekends that we shouldn't have been doing. And just it, it increased, increased. And I was sitting in youth group one day here in this place, and I was listening to Pastor Jason, and I was listening to him, and usually I would just check off the boxes, you know, I don't care about what's going on, I don't really listen to you, I'm just going to do go through the role. And he had a message, and he said, when I was in high school, I had to leave my friends to follow something that I felt something like God had something for me. And I remember him saying that and something inside of me said, I need to do that. And now six, seven years later, I know that was the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. But in that place, I prayed a prayer in my head. I said, God, if you want me to leave my friends, I need your help. And I always believed in God, but I didn't really have a relationship with God or a relationship with Jesus. And I prayed that prayer in my head. And two weeks later, my dad came into my room and he said, hey, son, we need to talk to you. And we're going to be moving to Pittsburgh. Um, he said that my father and my stepmom, Melanie, were going to be moving to Pittsburgh and that my mother and my stepdad, Ron, were still living here in Gettysburg. And there began a conflict in my heart of, you know, I this was the answer to my prayer that I prayed two weeks ago. And I felt in my heart, I need to move to this place, but then started a war inside me. And it's kind of, you know, there's an angel on the one side and the, and the little devil on the one shoulder you see in the cartoons. And it felt like this, this pool of like, should I go to Pittsburgh or should I stay in Gettysburg around this area with my mom? And 
Um, I was sitting in my friend's basement one night, um, and we were smoking, and I was high, and I was sitting there, and they were hanging out over here, and all of a sudden, it, it's, I felt like there was a bright light, like one of these lights on me, and, and all, of, all of my shame, all of my brokenness, I felt like there's got to be something more in life to what I'm doing right now. There's got to be something more. And, and I just felt so broken in that moment, sitting on my friend's basement, like, what am I doing? Like, where's my life going? And I remember hearing an audible voice. Um, it's the only time I've ever heard an audible voice of the Holy Spirit. And I heard this voice. It was loud. It was authoritative. And it said, I've made you for more than this. And I remember looking around at my friends because they were all hanging out on the right side. And I thought they heard it. So I looked at them because I was like, they must have heard this voice. It was resounding. It was loud. And I looked at them and they were still just hanging out. And I remember it was in that moment where God had been lining up these things in my life to take me somewhere what, that he had for me. And I began to cry. And I was kind of trying to wipe my face because I didn't want my friends to see it. Um... And it was that moment where God really started to, to, to lead me um, just in the plan that he had for me. And I believe he has a plan for each of us sitting here today. And um, a few weeks later, my dad was like, hey, come to Africa with me. And I was like, hey, a free trip to Africa, a free trip to Europe. We were stopping in, in Sweden. I was like, let's do it. Why not? I'll go, on a, I'll go on that trip. And he paid for it. And we went there. And I experienced God like I'd never experienced God. And I remember sitting on, um, standing on the festival grounds. We were in Lusaka, Zambia, and there's probably 15,000 people in this crowd. And uh, Evangelist Johannes was preaching a gospel about this person of Jesus like I had really never heard it before. And I remember seeing people on the festival grounds um, who started coming forward and saying yes to Jesus. And I remember um, seeing a, a, a lady who was brought in a wheelchair and I watched her. I was standing and she was being pushed by one of her family members and her legs were about this skinny and she was pushed in a wheelchair and I was watching her the whole night and as they began to pray for those who are sick, I watched as someone went over to her and laid their hands on her and they picked her up off the wheelchair and at first she was, she was falling. So it kind of looked like embarrassing, like why are they picking this poor lady up? Like, it looks what's going on. And I watched as this lady began to try to walk. And as she began to take the steps, her legs began to strengthen and strengthen and strengthen. And they strengthened so much that the same later lady who was pushed into that wheelchair pushed her wheelchair up the back of our stage and started dancing on the stage. Um, so I'll say this, that God is alive and God is active and he has a plan for your life. But not only a plan for your life, he wants to use you to impact and to influence your culture, people around you, with his love. And I was sitting there, and I was like, what the heck is going on here? And I was like, okay, God, I, I kind of believed in you, but now I see you're real, you're, you're active. And not only you're active, but you want to use me for this. And people were telling me, you know, pray for me, but I'm praying for nobody. You know, what's going on? <laughs> um, but... Then I began to see people who were delivered. I began to see demonic possession for the first time. Um, maybe some of you have uh, experienced someone being demon-possessed. Uh, probably not, because usually they put them in psychiatric homes. Um, I'm not saying there aren't chemical imbalances. There are. I'm not saying science isn't real. But many times in America, we intellectualize things because we don't want to step into supernatural things. 
Um, but people who are demon-possessed, influenced by demons, um, it's very true. But when you're possessed, it means you're fully taken over, spirit, soul, and body. And we had people who would start to manifest in the field. And when the name of Jesus is preached, G- uh, demons don't like the name of Jesus because it is the name above every name, above every disease. And so when the cross and his victory on the cross is proclaimed, people start to manifest, which means um, it's actually a good thing because it means that the demons are responding to a higher authority and that they are going to come out. And so we take them to a place where we command the demon to leave and we lead that person to Jesus. And um, I actually have a picture. There's a picture of a lady that I gave with her hands raised up. I'm talking to the back sound crew. Do you see that picture? There's a picture with, it's kind of hard to see here, but this is my wonderful fiance, Olivia. I just got engaged a few months ago. Uh, you, you can't really see, you can't really see her, but she's right here. And this is our freedom tent where people are set free from demonic possession and led into freedom, into a life with Jesus. And this woman who you can't, it's hard to see, but she had been demon-possessed uh, for over 21 years, which is almost the whole course of my life. And she was actually, um, she was into witchcraft, and many times you see this more in Africa, and but it's very prevalent in America too, just behind the scenes. And um, she came to our festival. She was actually brought by her three kids who were all around 20 to 18 years old. And after she was set free, she began to tell us her story. And she told us how for 20 years she had went to the witch doctor because she couldn't have kids. And then once she went there, she began to have kids after she went to visit the witch doctor. But the problem was is that when she went to the witch doctor, she opened up doors for demons to come to live inside her. And for 20 years, she did not remember all three of her children. Demons had took the memory of her children from her. And this night, her kids brought her, hoping that their mom would be set free. And uh, I saw my fiance, Olivia, and I just went in and saw this lady with her hands raised. And she was saying, Asante Yesu, Asante Yesu, which means, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because as soon as she gave her life to Jesus and was set free from those demons, she had full remembrance of her family for the first time in 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, she could remember her kids' names. Her kids could have a relationship with her. And God restored her family. And that's just one of the of the amazing miracles that's taken place over the last eight months. I've been in Africa and we have been in four different cities where we got to preach to 750,000 people. Uh, let's just give God a hand for that. Um, it's a big number. But so much, it can be easy to get lost in, in the big numbers and forget about the individual lives who have been transformed. You know, I don't know how many stories like that we had. There was one story where there was a lady brought into the freedom tent and she had just been set free from demons. And she said, my child is out in the, in the crowd and she's not here. And so we began to send some of our workers to find her daughter that was in the field and her daughter was deaf. She could not hear. So it, it, it was, it was, it was quick and it was emergency. And one of the people said, no, I know where her daughter is. And they said her daughter just got healed out on the field. She can hear now. 
And so this, the mom gets set free from demons who have been tormenting her for years. And they bring this daughter in and she runs and jumps into the hands of her mom. And for the first time, she can hear. And God is alive. Uh, and and maybe, maybe you haven't experienced something like that, but it doesn't mean it's not true. And it doesn't mean you won't. But I'm just thankful for what's been going on the past few months. um, We saw over 600 people who were set free from demons. We saw countless miracles. But the most important thing we saw is people who said yes to Jesus and who were forgiven of their sins so that they can spend eternity with God. And it's all about lives being changed. And uh, I'm thankful for Evangelist Johannes and for my leaders for just allowing me to be there. And I'm thankful for you all. Uh, maybe you don't know this, but you, Freedom Valley is my number one supporter. I have no one who supports me more than Freedom Valley Church. So can we give you a hand, give yourselves a hand? Um, and honestly, I, w- I would not be able to be in Africa if it wasn't for you. So thank you. Um, I get to be uh, our Book of Acts training camp leader, which is uh, equipping and training young Africans across all across Africa. This year we've trained just over 2,000 people in those four cities. We train them on street evangelism, preaching the gospel on the streets, laying their hands on the sick, um, setting people free from um, demons, and what we see in the Bible, right? We see that all across the Bible. When you read your Bible, every page you open to, Jesus did this, Jesus laid his hand, you know, Jesus, Jesus. And um, we then equip them with sound equipment so that they can continue preaching on the street, so that they can continue leading people into churches to be discipled after they're leading them to Jesus. So um, you have been a part of raising up over 2,000 people, and um, thank you. So thank you so much for that. And I just got a text message the other day from one of the pastors sending me a video of them on the streets um, preaching in a place called uh, Kibaha, Tanzania. So the work is continuing, and you're a part of that work. Um, so again, thank you. Now now I'll start to uh, start to get into my message a little bit. But yeah, Jesus, he, he, he changed my life um, after that trip, ever since that trip, I've been to Africa around 12 times since 2015. And um, in SOS, we always say you're either a missionary or you're a mission field. And what that means, a missionary is someone who leads other people to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're doing it in another continent, which is wonderful, but also you can do it in your workplace. Also, you can do it in your community. Also, you can do it in Littlestown, in Hanover, New Oxford, in Gettysburg. And you, we say it because Jesus commands us to make disciples. So if we're not making disciples, we always laugh and we say, we need to lead you to Jesus. But that's a little bit of a harsh, a, a harsh <laughs> explanation. But today I want to talk about the person of Jesus. And I want to talk about how he was the friend of sinners. And before I get into that, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. I used to live, I lived for a year in Stockholm, Sweden. It's super cold. Some of you would hate it. Uh, it gets dark a lot, but it's an awesome place. I loved it. And I was in a gym one day. And I remember looking over to my right and I saw... Um, a guy from Africa. And I was thinking, what's my friend over here from Africa doing in such a cold place? Because if you know anything about many Africans, they ain't about the cold weather. And it snows all the time in Sweden. 
And so I go over to him in this gym and I start talking to him. And again, I'm like, hey, what's your name? He tells me his name. We'll just say his name is John. And he says, hey, my name's John. And I just began to say, hey, like, how did you end up here in Sweden? And he began to tell me, well, I had to flee my country because my family um, was trying to kill me. And I remember just being very shocked of like, what, what could have happened that made, that made this? And, and after the, after, every time I go to the gym, I would start to just talk with him and get to know him. And finally he told me, you know, my father, um, was an imam, which is pretty much a pastor in the Muslim faith. And he said, you know, um, I, and then he told me I'm gay. And, and he said, because of this, my father was trying to do this and I had to flee my country. And, I was just, I, I, my heart broke for him in one stance, but I just wanted to get to know him more and more. So I, every time I go into the gym, I start to talk with him. And finally, he invited me over to his house to hang out with him and his boyfriend. And so I go over to his house and get to know them both. We're having dinner. We're getting to know each other. And honestly, I just wanted to be around them because I knew when we're around people, they can get a taste of the person of Jesus. And after a while, after I got to know them, what they like, what they don't like, and we became good friends, uh, they started to ask me about my faith. They started to ask me, so what do you believe? Like, what do you believe about the world, about life? And I began to tell them about the person of Jesus and how he died for us and how he took our sin upon himself on a cross 2,000 years ago. And he died and he rose again so that we can have a relationship with God. And as I began to tell them this, they were just were shocked that me as a Christian would sit in their home as people who were homosexuals. And I began to tell them that God loved them no matter where they were right now. And I told them, they said, do you agree with our lifestyle? I said, no. According to the word of God, that's, that's my instruction manual. I live that's my authority. I live based upon that. And the word of God says, this is not okay, but he loves you. And hey, I'm, I'm, and I began to tell them my testimony. You know, I'm messed up. I'm a sinner who was saved by the love and the grace of God that he would come and leave heaven and come to earth and live perfectly. Live a life we could never live. And they were just intrigued that I would spend time with them, that I would get to know them. And honestly, they just thanked me for not condemning them. I told them truth. I'm not saying love doesn't have truth, but I got to be around them. And I'm telling you this story, and I'm still praying for those two friends to this day because they haven't given their lives to Jesus. But I'm telling you this story because it's it's different than how many of us grew up or what we might see because there's usually two sides and there's probably two sides in this room right now. And it's the one side where uh, either you're Christian or you grew up in a Christian environment and you've probably been told, hey, don't hang out with these people or hey, don't go around these people. Or, hey, they have this political view so we're not going to spend time with them. And... There, there becomes a, you all, Christians can many times demonize people rather than love them and separate themselves from them. And then we have the other side, and maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I've never given my life to Jesus. I would not call myself a believer in God. And many times on this side, people are told, or maybe you've experienced, you know, you need to be good to come to God. And that's not true. I think both sides have gotten it wrong. As Christians, we're not called to separate ourselves. And if you're here today and you're not a believer 
In Jesus, you don't need to be good to come to him. And I want to look at the person of Jesus and I want to see how God in the flesh interacted with people. So as Christians, we know how to interact with people. And if you're here and you don't have faith in Jesus, you can see who he was and the depth of his love for you where you are now. And so I want to flip to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 2, verse 15. Um, I'm reading off of my phone. I promise you it's the Bible. Um, if I don't have my actual Bible, um, but you can double check it. I promise you it is. And it's a verse of Jesus spending time with people. It says, as he reclined at the table, he being Jesus, in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And I like to just think about Jesus sitting in this room with people who acted different, who thought different, um, people who did not reflect his morals or his values or his convictions in life. And we think, why would Jesus, according to the Bible, Jesus who's perfect, who's holy, who's righteous, why would he spend time with people who weren't? You know, tax collectors were known as thieves in that day. Why would he sit with sinners? Maybe there was, um, maybe there was a known liar in town sitting next to him. Maybe there was a known prostitute next to him in town. Or maybe there was just an average day person who is sinful. And he's sitting there and he's talking with them. And he's getting to know them. He's probably laughing with them, maybe crying with them as they tell him, you know, what's been going on in their lives. And we think, why would Jesus spend time with such people? And I think when we come down to the very base of it, the only reason, the reason why Jesus was with these people, the reason why Jesus was on earth was love. And when we see the love of Jesus, it will compel us to others but love. When Jesus was on earth, it drove every word he spoke. Every time he woke up, every interaction he had. Every time he spoke with someone, it was out of the mission and the purpose of love. I want to read a scripture to you. You all know it, but it's powerful. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved. And you know, we think of love, I'm not talking about an emotion that comes and goes. Yes, emotion can be associated with love, but I'm talking, the love of Jesus is faithful. It's consistent. It's not here one moment and gone the other. Jesus loved the world. And when I say the world, the world is meaning people. God loved people so much. The same people who rebelled against him. The same people who, who do what we all do, what we want to do. And so when it's saying for God so loved the world, he so loved people who rejected him. We look back at Adam and Eve and they took, you know, the, the Bible story, they took the fruit, they rebelled against God. So it doesn't make sense in our minds. Why would God love people who rejected him? And it's because love is the very, in the very nature and the very character of who God is. And so he came to a world and to people who had rejected him, who had laughed at him, who had turned from him and he served them and he died on a cross and he sacrificed his life for them. 
And I want to, I noticed three things about Jesus as I was just reading this Mark chapter two. Um, and I want to talk about three of them today. And the first thing was that Jesus was never too holy to be with sinners. Jesus was never too holy to be with sinners. And the news is, is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says, because the, the standard for God is perfection because he in himself is perfect and cannot be in relationship with that which is not. So ultimately, we are all sinners. But Philippians 2 says this, Philippians 2, 3 through 8. And it's a beautiful scripture that talks about Jesus and, and his mindset and how he went about things. And it says, do nothing from self-ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest, but, all, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but by, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so we see Jesus who is perfect, who is holy, and who really could have had pride in a self-righteousness of, oh, I'm holy, you know, I'm righteous, so I will not spend time with these people. But that scripture says that he humbled himself and he left heaven and he came to earth to serve and to sacrifice for those he loves so that they could come back into a relationship with him. And as Christians, I'm speaking to all the Christians in the room, it can be very easy to allow a pride and a self-righteousness to come into our hearts and to say, you know, I would never spend time with those people who are Democrats or Republicans. I will never spend time with people who are on that side of, uh, who are on that side of Gettysburg or who are, who are doing those things. Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm too good to be within. But we see Jesus shows us something different, that he was God but did not count it. And he humbled himself and he came to earth. So as Christians, we must humble ourselves and say the only righteousness we have was given to us by God because of Jesus. We're only righteous in God's eyes when we put our faith in Jesus because his life becomes ours. And the blood that he spilled on that cross, the Bible says, washes us clean so that we can come back into relationship with God. So as Christians, let's, we always have to check our heart and make sure that pride and a self-righteousness isn't coming up because we're all saved by grace, something we don't deserve, something we couldn't earn. And that, that, that last verse just, just hits me. Verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself. The God who created the heavens and the earth, who created us, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I think, you know, as Christians, man, if, if Jesus, if he sacrificed his life for people, we need to sacrifice our lives for people. If he sacrificed his life, we can sacrifice our time to spend time with our coworker who doesn't know Jesus. 
If Jesus sacrificed his life, we can sacrifice our Thursday afternoon to take our coworker or our friend out to coffee and just get to know them and laugh with them and get to share Jesus just through the way we live because his spirit, when it comes into us, it changes us. If Jesus gave his passion, his time, his energy for people that rejected him and rebelled against him, we can give our time for people because the truth is that we were all broken. And as Christians, we're only saved by grace. So we have no righteousness of our own. We have no righteousness of our own. God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So as, as Christians, Let's humble ourselves. Let's sacrifice. Let's serve people. Let's love people. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to tell you that the love that God has for you is so immense. It's so broad. It's so wide that he would leave perfection to come to earth, to die on a cross, to take your sin. And through his death and his resurrection, he conquers sin and death and the devil for you. The second thing is this. Jesus didn't try to correct every wrong they did. And here's what I mean by this. I mean, when Jesus was sitting with them, it says this in Mark. Mark 2, verse 16 through 17. And the scribes of the Pharisees, the Pharisees were just religious people of that day. When they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he spend time with these people? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. He says, I didn't come to call those who are so prideful that they think they have no sin, that they think they are perfect. But I came for those who recognize there's an emptiness in their life that cannot be filled by the things of this world and who are longing for something that's bigger, who have that deep sense, like Ecclesiastes said, that, that eternity is written in our hearts. And even as we speak, even as I read this Bible, if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, there's something deep within you that says there's more to life than what I'm living. There's more to life than being depressed and anxious every day. There's more to life than just going to work and going home. No, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. But he said, you know, it takes humility. So if you're not a Christian today, it takes humbling yourself and saying, you know, I'm sinful. But God, I recognize that you died for me, that you rose for me. So today I can put my faith in you. When I put my faith in you, the righteousness of Jesus comes on to you. His blood washes you. So that now you can have a relationship with Jesus. And when he sat there with those people, you know, he knew they were sick. He knew the sickness they had was sin, which was a disease of the heart that will continue to spread. Sin. And the problem, the, the, he knew the root of the problem wasn't their alcoholism. He knew the root of the problem wasn't that she was hanging out on the streets every weekend. He knew the root of the problem wasn't the words that they spoke. He knew the root of the problem was sin. And if that, they would come to know him, everything would change. And as Christians, I'm speaking, if you're here and you're a Christian, it can be easy 
to, and we do it out of love many times. And I've been, I've done this. Some of my friends will tell you I've done this. But we can put so much heaviness and condemnation on people of, hey, once you stop cursing, hey, once your anger issues are a little better, hey, once you start hanging out, stop hanging out at the bars, then you can come to Jesus. Then you can come to church. Then you can be around him. But what we see is that Jesus was around people who are different. And he says this, that come to me, all who are broken, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. So if you're here today and you feel like there's more. And as I speak and as I read the word of God, there's something in your heart that says, yes. Jesus is saying, come to me and I will give you rest. And and as Christians, let's make sure that we're not going to these problems. We're not giving them lists, but we're taking them to the person of Jesus. Because when people encounter the person of Jesus, when they encounter his love, it changes everything. When they encounter his love and they say yes to Jesus, the Bible says that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit of God comes to live in us, the Bible says that he gives us a new heart and a new spirit that changes us. Grace is the way to God. Obedience is the way with God. I have an example that I'm stealing from Evangelist Johannes which is a beautiful example. There was a story in World War II. Everyone with me? Everyone still with me? Give me a little wave. No one's sleeping on me. No, I'm sorry. Everyone knows the one person in the back, you know. They're out, they're just gone. I love you, whoever. But, okay, so are you with me? World War II, or maybe it was World War I, but we'll just go with it. There's a fighter pilot, and he's flying his plane, and there's a rat. He realizes there's a rat in his cockpit. So now he's getting super nervous because this rat is starting to chew on the cords of the plane. And now he's thinking to himself, if this rat chews the wrong cord, my whole plane could come down. And so he starts to try to kick out the rat, but this rat's got some dance moves on him and he's dodging it. And he's starting to get real nervous. So he calls into his head, his, his, the headquarters. He's saying, hey, there's a rat in my cockpit, in my plane. What do I do? And they said, okay, listen to me. This is what you have to do. You need to take your steering wheel, whatever you call it in a plane, and you need to turn it up towards the sun. And he's saying, turn it up towards, start going. They're like, you need to start going up towards the sun. And he's thinking, why would I do that? But okay, if that's what I need to do, let's do it. So he he takes the steering wheel, let's go with it, and he points it up towards the sun, and he starts going up. And he realizes that the higher and the higher he gets, the more that this rat starts to shake. And the rat starts to shake, and finally, the closer and closer he gets to the sun, the higher the elevation comes, and the rat cannot withstand or breathe in that, in that place. So finally, the rat falls over dead. And the reason I'm telling you this is because so many of us as believers, we're pointing people to the addiction, we're pointing people to the drugs, we're pointing people to the way they speak or the way they think, but we need to point them to the sun. We need to point them to Jesus. And when we point him to the love and the grace and the mercy and the compassion of Jesus, of God who died and rose again so that we may have life on this earth, but not only this earth, but eternity. When we lead them to him and they experience his love and they humble themselves and they say, God, I believe in you. 
The Holy Spirit will come to live in them. And this is what Ezekiel says. It was an Old Testament book. It was written probably around, I don't want to guess, but around a thousand years ago. It's less than that. But it's written and it's talking about what will take place when the person of Jesus comes, when God in the flesh. It says this. Yeah, it's probably more around 500. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, my, my Holy Spirit, the spirit of God in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to obey my laws. You know, it wasn't in my life until the Holy Spirit came to live in me, until I recognized the love that Jesus had for me and I said yes to him and I surrendered to him and I say I give you my life that the Holy Spirit came into me and he gave me a new heart and his spirit breathed life into my into my flesh and into my bones when I could walk differently. When I could stop looking at stuff on my computer. When I could stop, when I could say no to the drugs. It was his spirit that, that empowered me to live differently. So we can't expect people to live differently until they've encountered Jesus and his spirit. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, he loves you. The third thing was Jesus. And, and this actually has to, I preached here last year, and, and this is, is very much the message I preached last year. He wasn't mad at them, but his heart broke for them. You know, as believers, and maybe you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus and you've experienced someone who has just been cruel to you or spoken down upon you in the name of the church or in the name of Jesus. But Jesus, when he was with them, he wasn't mad at them. Yes, he, he was very mad at the devil, who is the creator of sin, who caused humanity to fall, and who is behind sin. But for people, his heart broke. And as believers in Jesus, we need to check our hearts and make sure if we have anger, it's not at people, but it's at the enemy who's behind and influencing what is taking place. We need to have a love and a compassion for people because that's what we see in the person of Jesus. And if that's what he did, that's what we did. Matthew 9, it says when Jesus was looking out over a crowd of people, it says when he saw them, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He had a brokenness for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. He said, when Jesus saw them, he saw people who were wandering without purpose, who felt like there was something more than what they were living. He knew that there was, there was no leader in their life, which is God. And when I see these three things, what, what, I, what I want to tell you today, church, is that God wants to use you where you are. He wants to use you to love people. He wants to use you to spend time with people, to hear their story. Because I don't know about you, but life can be hard. And sometimes people just need someone who will spend time with them, who will love them in their mess and point them to the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life. 
As the church, we need to humble ourselves and we need to serve. That's the first thing we see. He was, Jesus was never too holy to be with sinners. He, he humbled himself. He served. He gave his passion, his time, his energy, his resources for people. So do we. Second thing, we need to lead people to the person of Jesus. Jesus, he didn't have to correct every wrong they did. And the third thing is he had compassion. He had a brokenness for them. And I want to end with this today, and then we'll just go into a time. But it's a powerful scripture, and it's talking, and Jesus is with his disciples. You know, it's his closest friends. How many of you got some close friends? You with me? Jesus is hanging out. He's with his boys. And he starts to pray for them because he knows that he's going to go to heaven. And he's praying. He knows he's going to leave them. And this is his prayer for them. And I believe that this is for the church here in Freedom Valley. I believe that it is for the church across the world. And it is the prayer of Jesus for us as his disciples, for us as his believers. And John 17, 15 through 18 says, I do, and he's praying to the Father in heaven. He's saying, I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. We live in a world where the enemy is trying to pull people away from the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And he has raised up a church filled with his Holy Spirit to impact and influence everyone in your life. Because it is life and death. There's no in-between. There's no multiple truth. There's one truth and his name is Jesus. And if I'm offending you, I'm sorry, but I have a conviction and I've experienced him and he's impacted my life. And there's billions of others who've been impacted by him. In the Old Testament, there was, in the New Testament, two thousands of years ago, there's been thousands and thousands of people who've died for him. There's been thousands of people that have died for the truth and the good news of Jesus. Why can't we give our time? Why can't we give our resources? Why can't we give our passion and everything else? Because if this is truth, everything else in this life is fading away. And we come to see that there's more to life than just what's in this world. There's an eternity. It changes things. They are not, you can put the verse back up on the screen. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, purify them in truth. Your word is truth. And here's verse 18. As he's speaking to the Father, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, God, one being, three persons. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And Freedom Valley, what I came here to tell you today is that God is sending you into the world to influence and to impact and to create a different culture than the one that you're in. He hasn't called you to just sit and be complacent and to live life as if there's nothing more. Thank you He's so empowered much you with his spirit so that you, you can influence and love Jesus, and please serve let us know and sacrifice for people who I am will die. Remember to download our app so for more content and
so we need to take, the, he said, he's talking to his disciples and he's, he says, go. If you don't know the Bible, it's Jesus sitting with, it's okay if you don't. He's sitting with his disciples and he says this, it's, it's, it's called the Great Commissions for all believers. And he says, go, therefore, and make disciples. What that just means is, hey, lead people to the person of Jesus and teach them all that I've commanded you to do. Talks about him baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as the church of Jesus Christ, as believers, we must take that mission and we must make it our passion. And we just we must give time and energy to it. You know, maybe you're working at a car shop. God wants to use you in that place. Maybe you you're working at Walmart and you feel like, man, this is just ah, I don't want to be here. Maybe God wants you there for some reason. Maybe you have a friend there who you talk to every time. You must remember that there's eternity at stake. It's not for fun. I didn't come here to preach because I don't believe in the Bible or, you know, it's just a cool thing to be a Christian. I came here because it's life and death. I came here because it's Jesus or nothing. And right now, maybe you're here, and I believe you're going to experience the presence of God in this place. Let's all just close our eyes. I want to pray really quick. Just feel like the Holy Spirit's asking me to pray. If you don't believe in Jesus, I just ask that you would just close your eyes if you feel comfortable. If you don't, it's okay. But there's some of you who are saying, I've never really experienced God, or I've never experienced His presence. Holy Spirit, I just ask that your presence, the joy, the peace that you bring, Holy Spirit, I ask that your presence would fill this place. I ask that the glory of God would come into this room and touch the hearts of everyone here. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He came for you. He came for people. So maybe you're here and you say, you know, I don't deserve to come to God. I, I'm messed up. I'm doing this and this and this. He's here for you today. He's here for you today. The presence of God is in this room and he wants to meet you. He's been longing for you. Ever since the day that you came out of the womb, he's been longing for a relationship with you. And so right now, I won't even ask everyone to stand up, but I want it to be personal where you are. It doesn't matter about who's beside you. It doesn't matter about what your mom or your brother or your friend thinks. What matters right now is the choice you will make between you and God. And the Bible says that there's no other way to the Father except through Jesus through his death and his resurrection and when you say yes to Jesus when you surrender your life to him the Bible says that you will be forgiven of your sins that the blood of Jesus that was poured out 2,000 years ago is still pouring out now and it will clothe and cleanse you it will, he will give you a new heart he will give you his Holy Spirit and you will be different so on the count of three I'm going to give everyone in this room an opportunity to say yes to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And if you say, God, I want to surrender my life to you, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe that he died on the cross, you'll be saved. 
So right now, if you say yes, Jesus, I believe in your death and your resurrection. I want to give my life to you. On the count of three, I want you to lift up your hands. One, the love that Jesus has for you is greater than you can imagine. Two, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. What matters now is your decision between you and God. And right now, three, lift up your hand if you say, God, I want to surrender my life to you for the first time. Just lift it up as a declaration and say, God, I give you my life. I surrender to you. I turn from sin. I just want to go up into a worship song and for everyone who just lifted your hand I want to say congratulations welcome into a life with Jesus the Holy Spirit will change you I want to say get connected with the pastors get into a life group get into something that can teach you about the decision you just made and I'm going to come back up here and I'm going to talk about something called baptism in the Holy Spirit and I want to pray for those who are sick as well. So it's 11.30. If we want to take around 10, 15 more minutes, I want, I want us to just create an atmosphere where we're welcoming in the Holy Spirit. I want us to begin to have a worship song. And after that, I'll come back up and say something. But is it okay if we all just stand up really quick and we just start to sing to God? The Bible says that we enter into his gates, into his presence with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. There's, there's something powerful about worship. And maybe you're anxious or you're discouraged. I just want you to lift up your hands and just sing to God. And as you sing, his presence will touch you. As you sing, it will start to drift away. So Aaron, you can lead us. I've tried so hard to see
we thank you for your presence that is in this place. We thank you that you change us and you transform us. We thank you for the hope and the joy and the peace that you bring. We thank you that you're constantly with us, God. And church, I just want to, I want to say a few things for the next four or five minutes. And I want to tell you about something called baptism in the Holy Spirit. And maybe I say that and it starts to freak you out, but I, I want to I teach you. I want to show you three things. There's three powerful experiences that the Bible shows us. And the first is salvation, it's repentance. And when we say we surrender our lives to Jesus, it's like an empty cup. And the Holy Spirit comes to live and fills that emptiness. It's actually when the Holy Spirit brings us into the body of Christ. It says that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And then it talks about water baptism which is when we're making a declaration that we're saying yes to Jesus for everyone. And when we go down under that water, if you've seen it, it's like burying the old life and then we come into a new life with Jesus. And there's a third thing. It talks about the baptism that Jesus brings. You hear John, if you've read the Bible, John says, one who is coming, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will come and he will baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. It's, it's like that cup that was empty. It's filled. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus wants to overflow you. Because when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit starts to work in you. And when, it's like when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, He starts to flow out of you onto others. It's a powerful experience that will equip you to make disciples, to reach the lost. And that's why I'm telling you today. Or maybe you're even here today and you say, I just feel empty. I need a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit right now to just empower me to go out. I'm going to pray for that. But let me read you Acts 8, 14 through 17. It says, when the apostles, Jesus' friends, in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So we see these, these men, they go to pray for people who just gave their life to Jesus. And they say, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, not in them, upon them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So we see here is believers who had received the Holy Spirit and these men start to pray for them. And the Holy Spirit begins to clothe them. Let me show you. It's like being baptized in the Holy Spirit to clothe you. Luke 24, 49. It's Jesus. And he says, and behold, I am sending the promise. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in this city until you are clothed with power from on high. So he's telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to heaven. But don't leave this place until you're clothed with power from on high. And what baptism in the Holy Spirit is, it's like a firefighter. You know a firefighter? They never go into the fire without their working clothes because they won't be able to do their job effectively. 
Baptism in the Holy Spirit is like putting on our working clothes to go reach the world like Jesus asked us and equips us to do. I want to show you this now. Baptism in the Holy Spirit happens in Acts 2, Acts chapter um, um, 10. But I want to read another example of it. disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no. Let me read this. It's, it's the disciples at the day of Pentecost. It says this, Acts chapter 2, 2 through 4. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were, where they were sitting and it divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So Jesus is telling his disciples, Acts 1.8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So baptism of the Holy Spirit will equip you to make disciples in Gettysburg, in Pennsylvania, in America, and to the ends of the earth. It will equip you. And every time we see baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, we see two things. We see people start to speak in other tongues or prophesy. And now you who are intellectual, you're getting freaked out. Supernatural things are weird sometimes. Not even weird, it's supernatural. You just don't understand it because it's not, not, it's not physical. But let me explain it to you. I'm going to read the Bible so you don't think I'm a weirdo. And let me explain to you, it talks about tongues in different places in the Bible. Stay with me, you all with me? Number one, I'm just telling you them so you know. I'm going to talk about one specifically. Angelic tongues, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Earthly tongues. Earthly tongues is like you start to speak out in another language that you don't know. Maybe you start to speak Russian or Spanish or French. Evangelist Johannes one time was speaking in tongues and he didn't know but he was speaking Russian for 15 minutes and there was a Russian man in the congregation and he came up to Johannes after and said you just spoke Russian to me in my native language and you told me about Jesus. In Sweden, the, uh, just uh, not long ago, there was two men in worship and one was praying in tongues and he didn't realize that there was an African sitting next to him and he was speaking out in the tribal language to the guy next to him. I'm just giving you examples now. Acts chapter 2, earthly language took place. Three prophetic tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, 10. Number four, what I'm going to tell you about today is prayer language. Prayer tongues, which is for you in your everyday life. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, it talks about a specific language that is there to build you up, to edify you. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to 29, it talks about how speaking in tongues, when you don't know what to pray for, you should speak in tongues. So it says you pray perfectly aligned with the will of God. 
And so right now, I want to pray for baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is a powerful experience. I remember it happened to me. I was praying for someone, and it felt like it felt like heat was flowing over my body. And from that moment, there was a fire inside of me to reach my friends, my neighbors, like I never had before. And so today, Luke says this. I know I'm firing a whole bunch of verses at you. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to children, how much will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How do you receive baptism in the Holy Spirit? How are you clothed with this power? Ask. Ask. And what you do is, right now, if you're in this room and you say, You know, I want to preach the gospel with a boldness I've never had before. I want to start to work in spiritual gifts. I want to start to to reach my friends and my neighbors. I want to read the word of God and have revelation like I've never had before. I want to have the faith to lay my hands on someone who's sick. I want to set people free from demons. If you're here and you say, I want to live a life like Jesus lived, and you're hungry to be filled with something more, I want you to put your hands out like this. And it doesn't have to be weird, but I'm going to pray for you. And as I start to pray, we're going to go into worship. And I want you to just start to speak out to Jesus. I want you speak out of your mouth and start to thank him. Maybe like this, I'll give you an example. Thank you, Jesus, for your death and your resurrection. I ask that you would fill me, that you would baptize me with your Holy Spirit. Start to pray out of your mouth a prayer to God. And as you pray, there's going to be a power that comes over you. Maybe you don't believe me, try it. The Bible says, seek me and you will find me. Those who hunger and thirst, there's, there's power in hungering for more. And God lives to give more. Or maybe you're here and you say, I feel empty. I just need a touch from the Holy Spirit. In this moment, I just want you to lift your hand up. And I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to bless you. So right now, either put your hands out like this or lift up your hands and start to pray to God. And I'm going to pray over you. Right now, I pray over everyone in this congregation. Like Acts, I pray that a wind of the Holy Spirit would flow over everyone. Would flow over every person in this room. I pray for a boldness to reach their friends and their neighbors and their family members like never before. I pray for people who will have the faith to lay their hands on the sick. Holy Spirit, touch them. Fill them with your fire. Fill them with your power. Clothe them in your power, God, as they ask. As they speak out, Holy Spirit, encounter them. Touch them where they are in their room. If you're listening to my voice, start to pray to God. Start to press into His presence. Lord, I pray that those in this room, that they would shake the nations. I pray that Gettysburg, New Oxford, Littlestown will never be the same because of those who are influencing and impacting their schools and the culture around them. God, I pray over Pennsylvania will never be the same because those in this room will go to other places. They'll go to Pittsburgh. They'll go to Philly to be your gospel presentation in other places. I pray for pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets that will raise up out of this house. God, I pray over the next generation, the young men and women in this place. They're not living for you, but after this moment, God, the fire will start in their soul that will drive them to you. 
pray over those who feel so lost, who feel so far from you, God, that you would give them a hunger to chase after you. Let Freedom Valley be a house that sends to the nations, that sends to the United States, that sends to China, to Russia, to India. a worship song and then we're going to pray for the sick and then we'll end but I challenge you don't leave just because of time if, if it feels uncomfortable lift up your hands it's okay press into God seek Him
says everything is possible. In the Bible, there was a woman who was bleeding for 12 years and she was desperate and she needed a touch from God. And it talks about how she pushed through a crowd just to touch Jesus' robe. And it says as she pushed through the crowd, she was so hungry to be healed. When she touched him, it said that power came out and that she was healed in that moment. So right now, if you're here and you have a sickness and you have a disease, Right now, if you have a tumor, right now, if you had a, a doctor's notice about cancer, right now, I want you to lift up your hand or put, put your hands on where it's hurting. We're also going to have some people in the front who will pray for you if that is comfortable for you. They will be there to pray for your healing, but I want to pray from stage for those who it's not so comfortable. But I'd encourage you to come to the front too. So right now, if you're desperate and you want to touch from God, I just want you to touch that area. Or if you're here and you have an addiction, you have an addiction that you can't break, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's pornography, no matter what it is, I just want you to get ready to release that to God as I pray. And I believe that he will break it in the name of Jesus. So right now, Lord, I pray over everyone in this room, over everyone who's sick. I pray against cancer. I pray against leukemia. I pray against pain that's going on in their ankles or around their feet. Right now, wherever they're touching, Holy Spirit, I ask that your healing power would touch. God, right now, if they need if they need something to form in their body, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would start to create a new liver, a new kidney in the Jesus name. If there's people here and they have addictions, God, I pray as they release it to you that it would be broken. I break every stronghold, every stronghold that demons are trying to build up, I break in the name of Jesus. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose in victory. And right now we break them. Right now we pray healing over every sickness and disease. In Jesus' mighty name. Aaron, you can lead us out in a song. And everyone, it's, it's, it's been an honor to be with you today. Um, I know Candace may want to say something, but don't let today just be today. If you've experienced God for the first time, get plugged into this church. And if you're a Christian, change the culture where you're around. Lead them to the love of Jesus. Lead them to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I love you all. Thank you so much for having me. Woo! Yeah, let's appreciate Jeremiah. Thank you so much for speaking into this body, this church, this house. Listen, we have prayer team members available. If you need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you need a touch from heaven, if, if there is something wrong in your body, there's a sickness, there's a disease, if you need something cast out or delivered from, these guys have prepared themselves for you. They are here for you. Don't leave this house today without getting the touch from God that you came for. The Holy Spirit is here. Jesus is here. He is alive, like Jeremiah said, right? He's here for you. Get that prayer that you need. Before you go today, we are going to pass some buckets one more time. If you would like to give in to the ministry of Mission SOS and, and Jeremiah along with them, ushers can just go ahead and come and, and pass those as we pray.
Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here. Thank you for anointing us in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania to reach our friends and neighbors. Thank you that you have started something in here today that we will see the ripple effects of for a long, long, long time to come. Holy Spirit, anoint us, empower us, equip us to reach our friends and neighbors. Help us speak Jesus. With everything going on over the next month, help us be there for our neighbors, for our community, and just speak Jesus to them. Get to know them, love them with the love of Jesus. You are the Savior of the world, the light, the salt in the world. Help us show that to our world. We thank you and we praise you. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for what you're doing here in this house. We praise you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you all. See you next week.